Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Well, the speeches are over, the plaques are up. Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina are officially Hall of Famers. So are Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, Lee Smith, and Harold Baines. To hear the speeches from Induction Day, you can go to MLB.com or BaseballHall.org. The speeches are the culmination of a wonderful weekend celebrating both the game of baseball and the individual careers of the honorees. Some of them will make you smile, some of them will make you cry, but all of them will show you how emotional the careers and the crowning achievement of those careers are for those fortunate enough to be honored at the Baseball Hall of Fame. The weekend also included a wonderful speech on Saturday from J.G. Taylor's Spink Award winner, Jason Stark for excellence in writing. Seeing the returning Hall of Famers is one of the best parts of the weekend. I arrived at the Otisaga Hotel Friday morning to record final interviews with Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina as they prepared for their inductions. And those interviews can be found on the 30 with Murdy archive. But as I waited for them to arrive, I looked around and I saw Wade Boggs eating breakfast and a few yards away, so was Chipper Jones. I walked up to the lobby and I saw Gaylord Perry and Ferguson Jenkins. I was told Steve Carlton had just passed through. Later, I walked over to say hi to Joe Torre and found myself in a conversation with him and Tony La Russa. Reggie Jackson walked by, and there was Rod Carew. Phil Necro and Goose Gossage were chatting over there. On Saturday, following the Hall of Fame parade, I was in a room with Ricky Henderson on one side, Joe Morgan on another, Ryan Sandberg, Paul Molitor, Randy Johnson, and Pedro Martinez all casually walked by. Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Larkin were all smiles. This place is magical, even for someone like me who's been around not just a lot of baseball players, but a lot of baseball stars, two of them being inducted into the Hall of Fame on this very weekend. But the feeling was indescribable. I mean, I was a little fly on the wall in a room full of baseball heroes. And this wasn't just the Mariano Rivera show in Cooperstown. There was a strong traveling contingent from Seattle for Edgar Martinez, from Chicago for Harold Baines and Lee Smith, from Philadelphia and Toronto for Roy Halladay, and from New York and Baltimore for Mike Messina. While most of our attention in New York went to Rivera and Messina, I spent some time talking to the other inductees about their weekend. This induction ceremony certainly celebrated Rivera, but with Lee Smith, Edgar Martinez, and Harold Baines on the dais, it was a celebration of the specialization in baseball with closers and designated hitters getting their due. Trevor Hoffman is the man whose all-time saves record Rivera surpassed. Hoffman appreciates Rivera's greatness as much as, if not more, than anyone else. To garner 100% of the ballot kind of is indicative of the type of career he had. He's uh, really our Babe Ruth of our, our role, and so I'm not surprised at the, the vote tally that he got. And uh, Certainly the person is better than the player, so uh, the things he does off the field and what he stands for are unparalleled, so it's an honor to have him apart. And, I'm looking forward to hearing him speak on Sunday. Trevor, what did you admire about him as a pitcher? Um, his fearlessness. I mean, obviously his stuff was great, but I think every time you saw him on the on the mound, there was a lot of calm and cool and collected about him, and nothing seemed to rattle him. And if you did happen to get a hit off him, he was kind of bewildered, like, really? 
how'd you do that? That's not supposed to happen or no one expected it. So I just admired his, his confidence. Trevor, this is an induction ceremony that celebrates closures and DHs. Yeah. Do you like the idea that the specialized roles are getting their attention? I do because it was an important, you know, part of the game when we played. Not that it wasn't uh, or moving forward, but uh, these are iconic players. And so uh, they had huge impacts on their teams and uh, championships and, 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 and really the role um, and how it has evolved. So I'm honored to be a part of it. And I think we've, uh, we've seen you guys do a nice job of putting the right guys in. Before Rivera broke Trevor Hoffman's mark, the all-time record for saves was once held by Lee Smith, who totaled 478 saves in 18 seasons. Smith transitioned into a closer in the early 80s, an era dominated by Bruce Souter, Goose Gossage, and other multi-inning firemen, and he spent the second half of his career in the 90s, an era of one-inning closers. Smith's last year, when he earned his final five saves with the Expos, was 1997. That was Rivera's first year as a full-time closer for the Yankees. And he finds great satisfaction, Smith does, that a closer like Mariano hit the bar that no one else had ever hit. Well, you know, the main thing is you only talk about relief pitching guys only going one inning, you know, and uh, inning and a third, and the first guy to go in unanimously was a relief pitcher. That, that's really the icing on the cake for me. Lee, how much of a celebration do you think this is? For I mean, it's closers and DHs this year and it's specialized roles. How special is that for you? Well, that's, that's an awesome question, man, because the same thing I was just talking to him about, the guys as relievers going in, uh, the guys doing one inning, they talked about that. You know, then they talked about the designated hitter. You know, those guys are talking about these DH. Hey, they never faced Edgar and, uh, and uh, Harold Baines, man. But the thing that is really is showing what the game is, uh, is all about now, what the guys getting a little, little more credit. When guys get moved to the bullpen now, it's – a lot different, viewed a lot differently than when you did, right? Uh, it's a step up, man, <laughs> because in my day, it was like, you know, okay, the guy's not good enough to start, so you throw him in the bullpen, and usually the relief pitcher didn't get the pitch until the starter guy's butt kicked. So now uh, uh, the, the game has got to evolve where now it's a six-inning game. If you get a good starting pitcher to go, go six-inning, game's over, you know, with most of the guys with the bullpen. It's starting, I think, the best I saw probably in the last uh, 10 years was probably the Kansas City. You know, the, the thing that they had, you know, they, they, uh, they was like unbelievable from six inning on. Do you remember when the perception started to change for you around that time? What, around <laughs> what years maybe? Uh, you know what, I, probably the early to mid 90s, you know, when I went to uh, St. Louis, mm -hmm. they, the perception of the guys going, you know, like one inning or inning and two thirds. And then they got, they brought up big thing with the double switch, you know, and the uh, things like that. But it didn't bother me. I, I mean, I, I'd wanted to pitch. The first few years as a closer at the Cubbies, I was like asking them about going to winter ball because I wanted to throw more because I really, really hadn't gotten that out of my system of being a, um, uh, being a relief pitcher. So I really wanted to work on things, but it helped me out so much going in uh, two and three innings. As a starter, you can give up a home run and it doesn't really matter. As <laughs> uh, a closer, how hard is it to change that mentality as a closer? As a pitcher, it matters yeah. <laughs> when you give it up. But you know what? I, I think the thing is, is like you said, as a starter, give up a home run in the fourth inning. Hey, you get your butt kicked in the fourth inning. Oh, man, we, we lost this game in the fourth inning. But when you go, when you play for three hours, and you get to that last out, you know, and, the, and they, the other team wins that game. That takes a toll not on the relay pitcher, but on the whole team. So I, I think that's a bearing where you look at. That's really where the guys get to well. You know what? We had a snatch, you know, back when the guys had that one game in hand, you know. So that thing is a tough thing, but really hard for those guys to get over that. Did it take you a while? To oh, well, yeah, yeah, man. I, I, I had some sleep this nice, man, thinking about that. But, um, you know, plus, you know, the thing with the Chicago Cubs, you know, if I give up that home run in the in that uh, like the eighth inning, ninth inning, and the game's over with about four, 
I see that home run about six times before 10. <laughs> so that thing there's sort of wear on you, man. But uh, may you think about, you know, making good pitches when you go out there. Why, uh, why do you think the closer role is always going to be important? It seems like you're talking about the bullpen's important now, but some people kind of question the closer a little bit. Well, you know what? I've, I've heard so many guys talk about that bullpen by committee. Not going to work. For me, I, you know, White Herzog was the one guy that did something similar to that, but he still had a guy, a 19 guy in Todd Warrell when he was talking about that uh, bullpen by committee. But I, I think it's so, so much now that the guys have throwers and not pitchers, you know. And then uh, you find so many teams now that the guys don't stay around that long. So that's where you get a closer guy might be here for two or three years and you don't, you don't hear him anymore and he's hurt, things of that nature. But that's the man got to take care of that upstairs. But for me, I think the main thing with relievers is that longevity. That's the one thing I, th I think you can Lee, really what about this new trend of openers? What's your view of that? Of having, what, what if they came to you and said, listen, Lee, tomorrow we want you to start the game but only pitch one or two innings? It wouldn't work because I was asleep. <laughs> but you know what? I, it's, it, it depends on. I don't think that really to me. I don't like the idea. If you're if you're a closer, you're supposed to be throwing that that late innings. And it, it stems from I think the guys as starters, you know, not having their really good stuff out of the bullpen when they come out there in the game. But a lot of guys have that thing, a mental thing, in at that first inning. But I, I don't like the idea of a closer. So what if you need him in the ninth inning? You can't put him back in. Yeah. You know. So that's that's a tough thing that what the organization would uh, want to do. I don't like that idea myself personally. John Smoltz entered the hall in part because of his time as a closer was equally as impressive as his time as a starter. Smoltz looked up to Rivera for his consistency and longevity in a position he held for only a short time. So you were a closer for a little while too, when you see a couple of closers celebrated here, including Mariano. Was, was it's about it? time, right? Yeah. No, it's uh, we're talking about two of the best, and obviously Lee Smith. Uh, I'll never forget my first All-Star game. Uh, Lee Smith, this big imposing figure, comes out and says, kid, come here. Your job is to protect me in the outfield, make sure I don't get hit by fly balls. I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> but I think, you know, with the way the game has evolved, and certainly that role is so important, um, you know, my fear is that we're not going to see anybody do that again. And the longevity of, of perfection, both from Hoffman and his delivery and his mechanics and just the way he kept his body to the precision and effortless of uh, Mariano Rivera. Uh, it's just I don't think we're ever going to see that again, just the way the game is, and and uh, I, I, that's going to be a that's going to be a tough minus Kimbrel. That's going to be a tough area to, to judge, you know, as far as long the massing the numbers that these guys did. Both guys came in and you dropped your head on the other side. That's the one thing you could say about uh, both Hoffman and, and Rivera, and, and unfortunately, I was on the bad side of a lot of those. Did you so, feel like there, Mariano was a separator between what you and I mean, you lost oh, to his yeah. Braves, his Yankees twice. There's no doubt. I mean, it's the chicken and the egg, right? Was was it um, the Yankees' ability to get to him, or was it the weapon that they had? Yeah. You know, it's like you could say that most teams could survive minus one player. I don't know that the Yankees could have survived minus uh, Mariano. That's how that's how awesome he was. He 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 basically had two two or three fluke losses, you know, I mean, jam shot and just things that are going to happen naturally. And um, I was just in awe on how he handled it. Uh, I loved to watch him. Um, didn't like watching him beat us, but everything was businesslike. It was what he was supposed to do. He's a gentleman um, and just the most feared closer in the game. And to see bats be broken the way it did. I don't know how he didn't smile more when, when, when he would break bats because I would have to 
put my <laughs> glove in my face, but it's awesome to watch. Yeah, his postseason record is so extraordinary, and yours was great too. What, what, do you, do you see any commonality between how you and he both approach those big, big moments? I think the biggest thing, and not you know, I know him a little bit. Um, knowing his makeup and personality, he's not afraid. First of all, you can't be afraid. Um, and I think there's a personality and a mindset that that you live for that moment. And when you are as easygoing and the heartbeat, I don't know what his heartbeat was like, but it seemed like it barely beat when it was in that time of the year. And imagine everybody else's heartbeat picking up 10 beats. And if you can slow the game down, you have an advantage over the rest. And for him, just coming in the game, there's something to be said for having an edge, and he kept it as long as anybody. You know, when you have an edge, that means you have a distinct advantage over the guy that sits there and goes, uh-oh. And there's a guy that stands in the bat- batter's box thinks he has the edge. The pitcher's doing the same thing. So... At the postseason time, it takes a special personality and mindset to, to know that um, you're, you know, a moment away from failure, but you, you relish the moment of, of greatness, and that's what he was. The Yankees of the 1990s are all of a sudden very well represented in Cooperstown. Wade Boggs from the 96 team, Tim Raines from the 96-98 team, Joe Torre earning the call with four rings, and Mariano entering with a set of five rings. Derek Jeter will bring the same number with him next year. Here's Reigns on Mariano Rivera taking his turn now and what the great Yankees years meant to Reigns' career. Rock, you knew a very young Mariano Rivera. What's it like seeing him enter this class with you guys? He looks pretty old right now, but uh, <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, to uh, to get in, the first 100% guy to get in, uh, very deserving. I mean, I uh, I went out with him for three years, and uh, every time he tucked him out, we knew it'd be three up and three down, other than the one time in 97, but uh, great guy, uh, great family, uh, no one deserves it more. What was his impact on those 90s teams, both on the field and, and off the field, in your view, in terms of his personality? Ah, uh, perfect. It was perfect for that team, perfect for the city, perfect for the organization. I mean, a guy with one pitch, uh, you know, ended up being one of the best relievers that ever told him out. Um, and again, like I said, I mean, great uh, person. I mean, he was a great athlete, too. I mean, I think if we needed help in the outfield, he probably was our best outfielder. So uh, I don't know if he could hit that well. But <laughs> um, other than that, man, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think there could be a better player, better person, better father, I mean, better um, Hall of Famer. What do you think his example with that 96 bullpen that you guys had did for bullpens going forward? It seems like everybody's trying to bullpen it now, and he was the, he and those guys were an example. Well, Weldon was our closer, and right. obviously, um, Marion was really our closer. He was shut down the eighth inning, and then we would we were battle to finish it off with Wetland, but um <laughs> It, it was perfect for us. I mean, we, we, we had a team full of a lot of veterans, uh, but guys that uh, enjoyed playing with each other, and we had fun, uh, and a great manager. So um, uh, I went there in 96, left in, in, in 99, and uh, probably the best three years of the 23 that I played. How important was it to you to play 23 years, to have so many near misses with Montreal and Chicago, and then to finally get a couple rings with the Yankees to say that you were a champion? Like, Well, I mean, that's what we play for, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's pretty much the reason why I went over to New York. You know, I, uh, I contemplated uh, about going because, you know, 
it's a big city. Uh, you know, uh, things don't go well for you there. They let you know. Uh, playing in Montreal and Chicago was just the opposite. And um, but I, I I realize you know if you perform, they're gonna let you know. If you don't, they're gonna let you know. And uh, I was ready for the challenge. And uh, even though I was hurt most of my career there. Uh, the time that I did play, I felt like um, I contributed in, in a way that uh, that uh, made me enjoy my stay there. Rock, you and Boggs were toward the end of your Hall of Fame careers. Mariano and Jeter, who's going to be here next year, were just starting theirs. How's it, how do you feel about having such great representation here now with those teams you played on? Well, it's awesome, you know, to, to know that um, – you know, you play a long career, and you play with tons of different players, but to play with a lot of Hall of Famers. I play with a lot of Hall of Famers, and, Guys, we got you know, Dawson and Carter. You know, now you got Mariano, and I'm pretty sure there's going to be a few other guys I play with that's going to get in. So um, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, but uh, it's a great feeling when you, when you go put on your uniform and suit up and go play a game knowing that you got some guys that can play beside you. Harold Baines played more than half of his career games as DH. It's a position that doesn't get equal standing in many circles when MVP or Hall of Fame debates rage on. But Baines knew the value of being a DH early in his career and the years of productivity it could add. And he's thankful the position is getting its due this year. Well, it's, it's a long time for the DHs, to be honest. And there have been a lot of DHs that have been overlooked. I'm not going to say their name, but just it's been part of the game. I'm just thankful that... Edgar got in because he's very deserving. I'm, I'm very happy to be in it as well. Yeah, why do you think it, it's taken so long to accept that as a real position, real role? I can't answer that. The writers decide all that <laughs> stuff. So, but maybe you could tell me. That's yeah, around baseball too, you know. Yeah, I mean, but it's a, it's part of the game. I agree. You know, I mean, if you don't want it, get rid of it. That's that's my mm-hmm. that, um, feeling about it. But you know, it's a lot of Hall of Famers that are in the Hall of Fame, DH part of their careers. The DH started before your career began, but it obviously helped you get to oh, where you were. Of course, be. yeah. Because yeah. of injuries for me. Yeah. You know, I had uh, terrible knees. started early in my career, and I was fortunate enough still to be able to hit a little bit. That gave me longevity, and that was because of the DH. Were you able to embrace that right away, or did you have to sort of reconcile the fact that you weren't going to be an everyday outfielder? I knew I couldn't play out there, so I took hold to it right away. And that I just concentrate on hitting. What was it like with teammates? You know, when I, I think even in the early days, they would see guys who weren't out on the field for nine innings, and you know, they I, they knew obviously you were contributing in the lineup four times. But was it hard to kind of blend with teammates in the clubhouse when they're going out to the field every nine innings? No, we actually communicated throughout yeah. the whole game, and more so after the game too. I mean, it was a, a close knit uh, community inside that clubhouse. That they picked, the DH was part of the team. And they accepted that, and they accepted me. How did you adjust to the role? Like, what were your routines that helped you get used to that? Maybe after a couple of years, I uh, study more. I uh, watch the game itself. A lot of catchers tend to have patterns, the way they call their games. Very rarely any pitcher calls off a, a catcher. Mm-hmm. So I was studying the catcher more than the pitcher. You have uh, any other guys uh, coming up that you think? do for Hall of Fame well, recognition? Well, I, I can't answer that because I never thought I would be one. So. But the guy I kind of looked up to was Hal McCray when I was coming up. 
it was one of the better DHs that I ever ever seen. So, but that's one. But, but how with Craig? And part of that was because we had the same teacher, Charlie Lau. Edgar Martinez, who played 68% of his games at DH, feels the same way about how it affected his career. I think it helped me too. Uh, you know, the, the reason why it, um, I became at DH is because of the injuries I had. Uh, my hamstring, then I had shoulder, and uh, uh, playing on the field would make that more difficult uh, for me, but it really helped me out. It's taken a while for the DH to become a, a recognized position mm-hmm. with some glory attached to it like it is here yeah. with two DHs going to the Hall of Fame. How do you feel about that? feel great. I think it's a big part of the game. Uh, the offense is part of the game, and the DH usually uh, provide a big part of the offense. And uh, if that hitter is consistent and help the team and make the team better, it should be selected. Are there others that you'd like to see get recognized now that you two are here? Well, David should be the next one, and I hope he he gets in, um, and uh, obviously hope he gets healthy and uh, be here uh, soon. If anyone had Mariano Rivera's number, it was Edgar Martinez. He was 11 for 19 head-to-head against Rivera with three doubles and two homers. It has become a joke between the two, which even made its way into their January election announcement. Edgar, back in January, uh, Mariano said that you owe him a dinner. Have you paid up yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> he's been playing playing a lot of golf, so I think it's... But, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great guy and love uh, talking to him. What was it about those matchups that you liked, and why were you more successful than others? I didn't like that matchup. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's always felt that when you face Mariano, even you had some success, uh, uh, it was very challenging. Um, he's uh, the best closer in the game, and um, uh, to get 100% from voters, that tells a lot. Um, so it was never an easy task. And, uh, um, but you know, even I had success, uh, I will change all those hits for he got me out in the playoff in 2001, and uh, so that tells you what kind of reliever he was. You obviously went up there every time with a plan against him. What was the plan? Well, always looked middle away um, for the most part, and that, that was not my approach uh, to pretty much all pitchers. And uh, with the quarter, I think that, uh, you know, at least I was... Um, I had a good plan for, that was my strength, middle away. Mariano's breakout 1996 season was built on a four-seam fastball. His trademark cutter would not reveal itself until the following year. Great hitters can hit even the best fastballs sometimes. But by 1998, Mariano's cutter was a weapon that even the best hitters couldn't figure out how to attack. Catching it was certainly more fun than hitting it. This is former Yankees catcher, manager, and current Radio.com and MLB Network analyst, Joe Girardi. You know, I think that the greatest compliment he ever got was from Rafael Palmero. And Rafael Palmero said to me, he goes, I don't know why the manager sends me up to hit here. The only place I can hit it hard is over our dugout. And, and this was at Camden Yards, so they were on the, the first base side. Just knowing how difficult it was to actually center a ball and keep it in play. So I'm thinking, well, this is a guy with 500 home runs and just a great hitter. And he's complaining. And 
I just remember the broken bats that Klesko had in the World Series and how dominating it was. Um, I'll never forget that, where they just keep bringing him another bat, another bat, another bat, to where his teammates were somewhat laughing. But it was just so dominant, it was fun to catch. And I guess his location on it was probably, when you're throwing one pitch, location has to be the biggest key, right? I think it's everything. He had the deception of the cut and the location. And I think, you know, no matter what we say about pitching, it always comes down to deception and location. And his location was as good as anyone that I'd ever been around. It, it reminded me, his ability to throw his cutter wherever he wanted to reminded me of Craig Maddox's ability to throw his sinker wherever he wanted to. And that's why Mo was so dominant. I've heard stories from hitters tell me that they used to bring up special bats or they yeah. would move their feet. Somebody told me they were even moving their feet while he was in his set position trying to trick him or somehow figure out how to do it better. Do you have stories of watching hitters try to figure something out? Well, I know when, when I would catch, I always looked at the hitter's feet, and I'd always pay attention what they were doing at Mo and some guys. If, they, if it was a left-handed hitter and they would move off the plate more, well, I would just slide in more because my thought was, in your mind, you know what a strike is, so just because you move off the mound, you still think, well, it's six inches away from me. That must be a strike. So I would just go farther in. They would continue to swing at it, break bats, and embarrass themselves. Is this a fun day for you? Yeah, it is. You know, just to see, you know, the players that I played against um, and to be part of Mariano and Mike Messina as, as a manager, this is a great day for me. Bernie Williams entertained the crowd on Sunday with a Hendrix-like star-spangled banner and then cleverly wove in a little Enter Sandman to the crowd's delight before he rolled out his lovely rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game towards the end of the ceremony. It was a special day for Bernie to celebrate the achievements of teammates and peers, none more special to him than Mariano, for the things he added to the Yankees teams and his career. To me, it's uh, consistency, I think. Uh, that he was probably one of the most consistent people that I've ever met uh, as far as his work ethic on the field, things that I needed to do to get ready. Uh, but he was really interesting because he managed to make it as fun. Yeah. You know, he was always had a smile on his face. He always uh, had a positive attitude. Uh, I mean, I am, you know here uh, and in the situation that I am as you know part of this great you know you know generation of Yankees from the 90s uh, because of his ability to close games you know many games that we won that sometimes I think that we weren't even supposed to win and you know the fact that he was there demoralizing the opposition uh, you know, meaning that, you know, after the seventh, eighth inning and we had a lead, I think everybody in baseball knew that when he was up, uh, it was basically a close, you know, closed door uh, for the opposition. So uh, it was great to have him as a teammate. Uh, we spent a lot, of a lot of time with our families. Uh, you know, he, his kids grew up with my kids, you know, in the, in the nursery, you know, mm -hmm. by the time they were, you know, they were, you know, little and now they're in their mid-twenties, you know, doing their own thing. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we have in common and uh, uh, we sort of grew together uh, as, as players. And uh, now uh, I'm so proud to be here uh, watching him, you know, get inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, for probably his, the, the, uh, the greatest moment that he would ever have in his career. I'm curious your perspective on a transition that was very important to Mariano and to your success as a team. 
I think people forget, in 1997, his first year as a closer, he had nine blown saves. He had the blown save against Cleveland. You guys got knocked out of the playoffs. You know, There wasn't a great deal of certainty, I, I don't think, going forward into 1998 about the type of closer Mariano was going to become. Obviously, he did that, but I'm curious from your perspective what you saw in him that allowed him to build off of uh, some of the small failures that he had and help lead both himself and the team into the position that they ended up in. I think, you know, the word that comes to mind is just being resilient, uh, to have enough confidence in your ability to know that you're going to get over the hump, and also to be a little lucky to have people in your corner in the front office believing in you. Uh, I mean, I can, you know, obviously tell plenty of stories about the fact uh, of, you know, uh, on how some of the people in the front office helped my career and helped me stay in the Yankees at a time that, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, as far as, you know, not knowing what I was, what I was going to become as a player. Uh, And I'm sure in 97, after, you know, that small sample, Mariano had a lot of people that were doubting his ability as well. But I think it, you know, kind of came down to, you know, people like uh, Gene Michael and, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, Joe Torre, perhaps, you know, people in the know that had power to make those decisions to trust their gut feeling, you know, saying that this guy, even though he had, he was struggling, we're going to let him grow into his position and have the patience to be, you know, to be, you know, to be patient with him. Uh, and allowed him to develop into what what he what he became, and uh, you know you probably see those guys and they're probably saying you know we make the right decision right now, but now everything is in hindsight. Back then you had to make some tough decisions at the time that nobody knew what was going to happen, and uh, I'm so glad that it uh, came out this way. There's a couple of starting pitchers on that stage that you know if everybody hit them like you did, they would not be going to the Hall of Fame. I, you know, I'm going to read you some of these numbers, okay? Mike Messina, who you faced uh, for the first half of his career before he became your teammate, you were in 39 at-bats. You hit 359 off of him. You had a 457 on base. You slugged 538. You crushed him, okay? And then you've got Roy Halladay, who you faced even more in 53 plate appearances. You hit 340. You had two homers off of him, 11 runs batted in. You slugged 560. What was the secret, Bernie? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. To me, you know, I treat everybody with the utmost respect. Yeah. And I think, you know, that allowed me to prepare uh, with, uh, on my best to try to face him on my best. And, uh, you know, pitchers like that, you, you, you can't uh, afford the luxury of not being at your best. And I think, you know, when the time counted, it wasn't a batting practice. It wasn't, you know, off. The, it wasn't watching video. It was in that moment in time where you needed to hone your strength, all your uh, capabilities to try to face an opponent like that. You have to be at the top of your game. And, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, it was just uh, a situation in which, you know, I tried to, did, uh, tried to do the best that I could, and I just happened to, hap- uh, just happened to uh, be that way. But, uh, I mean, obviously it was just very challenging. 
you got to appreciate Messina two different ways. You, you know, obviously you never saw how he prepared for a game until he became your teammate. So what you knew the result, what the result was on the mound, and once you saw what he did to get there, what did you appreciate about him? Well, it was not surprising on how you know, he was so successful because he is very methodical about his approach, uh, very cerebral, I guess if, if I could say that, uh, studying not only his uh, stuff, at he, what he had in that particular day, but also studying the opposition. I think he was great at reading body language on hitters. He was great on uh, figuring out weaknesses in, you know, from at bat to at bat. I think he had the uh, ability to have pinpoint accuracy. Uh, he could get batters to chase bad pitches, but when he needed to throw a strike, you know, maybe right in the black, you know, it's like, you know, a tennis player when he needed that ace, mm -hmm. you know, ace in the, in the hole, you know, the th you throw it right there in the corner. That was, that was him. And he, uh, I saw him throw more of those difficult pitches than anybody else that I've ever seen it, you know, except for Mariano. Yeah, he, he didn't find your weakness. That much is clear from just looking at the numbers. Uh, Edgar Martinez, it's a big day for Puerto Rico with Edgar Martinez getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, and he beat you a few times. It's probably one of the reasons why he's here. Uh, just from a hitting perspective and, and what it means, uh, you know, appreciating what kind of a hitter he was, what do you recall? To me, he's probably the best right-handed hitter of my generation that I've ever saw. Uh, you know, the way that he... You know, he faced us. I mean, especially, you know, in 95, you know, in that series that we had against the Mariners. Uh, he might have been the last person to hit. You know, mm -hmm. he was, his double was the one that scored uh, Ken Griffey. Yeah. Uh, so he was his ability to pull the ball and keep it fair, uh, which require a lot of ability and just your capacity to just kind of stay inside the ball so you hit it in front but not hook it. Uh, to me, he was the best at doing that, and he practiced that a, a, a lot. I remember in the All-Star game, this is a, a, a true story, in the All-Star game, 97 in Cleveland, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was um, practicing, uh, he was doing batting practice in one of the cages, and he managed to, uh, you know, have this contraption in the batting cage, which basically was uh, a shotgun that would shoot tennis balls. Oh. But they were probably shot about 150 miles an hour. And he had to decipher either the color or the number of the ball, because they were numbered. Okay. And once you see that thing at 150, he said, well, let's low it down. Maybe we can slow it out at, at 100. And by, by the time he could see 95, he saw that ball like a beach ball. <laughs> so <laughs> he was all his eye training his uh, method, you know, coordination, and just having sort of a, a kind of quasi-scientific approach to hitting that I think made him the, the, the great hitter, you know, the great right-handed hitter that I've ever saw in, in my generation play. I have one last one for you. There are a lot of your teammates who have plaques now in Cooperstown, and the 90s Yankees are very well represented. You have Wade Boggs and Tim Raines who are finishing out Hall of Fame careers. You have Mariano... Jeter, obviously, will be here next year. The manager is Joe Torre. Uh, your 90s Yankees, you obviously have hardware for your fingers to tell you how great they were. 
but now there's a lasting legacy here for everyone to see when they visit the Hall of Fame. And, you know, despite what happened on the ballot, there's probably a chance down the road that you get another shot at this and, uh, and, see, and maybe some more of your teammates end up here. How does that make you feel when you think about, I know how much you appreciated the journey and all the hard work and what that led to the championships, but now when you see the lasting legacy of it in a place like Cooperstown, what do you think? Well, it's something that uh, in my eyes just transcends the game. Uh, it's uh, just an indication of how successful we were and how difficult it was uh, to, you know, to play those games and to win those championships. And the evidence is here. You know, when you have guys like, you know, you're talking about guys, you know, the last time I saw, you know, a whole bunch of teammates like that being inducted, you know, or being in the Hall of Fame, were like the murders row back yeah. in the Yankees of the 20s. Mm -hmm. You know, you see, uh, uh, and, you know, to me that tells me uh, a lot about, you know, how, uh, how good we were. Uh, because it's not only, you know, for team and, you know, I think, you know, obviously retiring numbers, you know, for, you know, the team's sake, it's great. You have, a, you know, that as a, you know, obviously a sign of pride, but you're talking about the whole community of baseball honoring these players. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, that to me, that's, that's probably the, the biggest uh, compliment that you could ever get. Uh, and it, it actually, you know, you talk about the conversation, you know, and, you know, if, are these teams, you know, some of the greatest teams that you've ever uh, played, you know, with, you know, in the history of the game. And just to be included in that conversation, you know, it just gives me a lot of pride and uh, I feel, you know, I feel great about it. And next year, the party kicks up another notch for another Yankees celebration. Derek Jeter hits the ballot, and Cooperstown is already flooded with Jeter T-shirts, hats, bats, and other memorabilia. Around here, it's like Christmas at the North Pole. On December 26th, you start preparing for next year. And so the preparations begin. Jeter was sitting up front with his other core four mates for this celebration. Hope he was taking notes for his speech next year. If you missed any of my earlier in-depth conversations with both Rivera and Messina, please go check them out on the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com, iTunes, and WFAN.com. You can check out some of the fun pictures and other nuggets from this weekend by scrolling back on my Twitter at YankeesWFAN and on Instagram at Sweeney underscore Murdy. Thank you all for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.